Hello there, it's Phil Kane here. I'm a journalist who covers alcohol, and I believe that by having an intelligent discussion around alcohol, we can hope to produce positive change. It's tempting to think that a discussion around alcohol is a cool new thing, but it isn't. It's been going on for generations. And one organisation has been doing it for much longer than most, and that's Mavendi. It changed its name last month from IOGT. And I have their chief executive, Katerina Spekova, online to talk about it more. Uh, good morning. Thanks for coming on, uh, Christina. Good morning, Phil. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you're very welcome. Um, yeah, you're, you're the president of an organisation, uh, henceforth known as Mavendi. Um, this one, maybe it's, it's a very old organisation, I understand. It's about 170 years old. Um, are you kind of surprised by the level of interest there is at the moment in alcohol? You know, this is an older organisation, but it feels like there is something in the air around this topic at the moment. Um, no, I'm not surprised. I think the interest should be even higher. Um, I think the, the interest that is now uh, on the rise is caused also by our organization and organizations alike that have uh, also learned how to talk about alcohol, how to talk about alcohol policy, uh, and also about it's connected also uh, to the general understanding and awareness of people's, in a way, rights. Uh, because alcohol, when, when we are talking about alcohol problems, that was a very often a taboo. Uh, so we have been new about uh, anonymous alcoholics, but then there were not many other solutions to the problem. And now we can also see, in a way, boom um, in, uh, in coming out uh, as a person who had a problem with alcohol and uh, being confident in uh, talking about it and sharing with others. So I, I would say that there are these two, uh, no, I wouldn't call it trends, but the, the, the two happenings. And, and then also uh, talking about uh, health is uh, becoming also the topic and the science that is uh, providing more and more facts about, uh, uh, about the negative impacts of alcohol on human body is uh, again yet another element that contributes to that. But having on mind how much harm alcohol causes to the user, the people around, to the society, I don't think that alcohol is being discussed enough. Okay. So there's more to be done in this area, you think? And you, your organization, um, it was called IOGT until uh, last month, uh, beginning of last month, I understand. Um, could you just, and now it's called Mavendi, uh, could you perhaps explain how, uh, why this change has been made and, and what it signifies in terms of the future of your organization and where you see this uh, discussion, uh, wider discussion about alcohol developing in the future. Yeah, so the, the change has started very long time ago. Uh, already in 2002, the organization had an ambition to change the name uh, that uh, didn't go through uh, back then because we are a, a movement, uh, we consist of uh, around 137 organizations right now. I don't remember how many exactly we were in 2002, but still, you know, like this, uh, these changes are not happening only on the level of the management, but uh, all the uh, members need to accept it. So back then it didn't go through, but it was a very close, it was a tight decision. Um, and then since then, we've been working uh, a lot on rebranding the organization as the, the, the history, as important as it is, and the, the, the impact that the movement had back in the history cannot be forgotten. But the, the connection and also just the understanding of what the organization was uh, has been 
lost and also the members nowadays do not understand the, uh, the because the organization was called International Organization of Good Templars, but uh, there are very few members in the organization or organization that understand what Good Templar is. They have never been part of any uh, order let's say so so the organization has changed and the, the the name change was actually lagging behind for many years and and then as a first solution in 2006 the organization has changed the name already from international organization of good templars into iogt so iogt became a word uh, uh, but that was a very difficult to explain and it all it still looked the same uh, so of course it looks like an acronym people were asking what it is we didn't have any good answer <laughs> we were we were saying it's a name it's like uh, i don't know ikea or something else and mm -hmm. people would be still wondering but okay but there has to be some uh, the, uh, some explanation to that and um, or they would be googling and then they would find a good templar so it was connected but nowadays we were not even able to explain good templar and how that uh, worked so then we understood that we really need to move away from from that name uh, with the respect to the history and also um, to the to the lifestyle of of the members because the uh, very typical uh, characteristic of all the members is that it's a uh, uh, members are living alcohol free life mm -hmm. uh, so and that's how we ended up then with the movendi which is a connection of two words of, of Latin expression, modus vivendi, so a way of life. Uh, okay. I'm one of the people who has Googled this, uh, you know, your organization. Uh, and, you know, the, the Wikipedia page and various other sort of references talk about a fraternal organization akin to the Masons. Uh, and in my mind, there is this sort of uh, rights and uh, regalia, aprons and funny handshakes and these sort of things. Is it, I mean, that uh, side of, uh, of the history, is that, uh, does that exist anymore within the organization? The, uh, yeah, it, used, it was part of the organization. I have never experienced it as a member and I have been active in the organization since 1999. Uh, I understand that some of the member organizations that are completely independent from the umbrella, because we are more of an umbrella organization now. Mm -hmm. So some of the organizations that have the history in IGT uh, have, uh, for example, some rituals. They are very few. I would uh, count them on one hand. Uh, but they still do it. And what is important in this case to also mention is that those rituals, they are for them important as a part of the recovery process because the, the members that have been joining this organization, they uh, used to have alcohol problems. And one solution for them was to find structure and uh, the rituals would be providing this structure. Plus, the rituals would, would also contribute to equality in, in the organization. And so, so from that perspective, they really, they treasure it. And if, as they, the members that have gone through this uh, process, they, they really want to keep it and they are following it. So, and, but as I said, it's less and less. Uh, it's also that these organizations uh, nowadays have uh, problems to find new members. It doesn't speak to mm -hmm. other people, but uh, historically it, it was important for them. And then uh, those few ones, they are keeping it. 
I don't know about secret or like uh, funny handshakes and uh, the regalia that's also very rare. Uh, some of them might have it and they have candles lit and such as a part of the ritual, but I don't know about any secret things that uh, that used to be uh, or like that I have heard of or, or read about, but I have never experienced that. So, I mean, as I understand it, your organization was sort of directly uh, having members, I mean, I was, uh, but now its emphasis is now in having other organizations uh, to become a member. So they have their own uh, system of uh, governance and then they are a member of your organization as a, an umbrella in terms of the uh, alcohol overview you give. Exactly. Then, like in the beginning, when the organization was established in 1851 in the US, then the people were connected directly and it was not called international organization. But when it started spreading and then it became, became an international organization, already then it was, as back then, it was the, uh, the organization that helped to start the organizations in different countries. But uh, in a very long history, it has, then it became a, an umbrella organization and uh, the authority of the international organization has been removed so there, there is really no interference in anything that the member organizations are doing so in terms of the goals of your organization now it's it's, it's more to to uh, bring together more into, you know other local organizations into your under your umbrella as opposed to necessarily building up individual members Absolutely, yes, yes. We are, it would be, it's, it's also a very ineffective and in a way uh, really costly process to, to build uh, members and to find individuals. There is, um, there is a possibility for individuals to become members directly in the international umbrella if they do not have a local or national organization or for some reason do not want to belong to the local organization. But we are not, uh, taking any active steps uh, in, uh, in finding individual members. What we do is when we understand that there are there's a group of people in a country that would like to um, start an organization, but they do not know how, uh, and the organization would uh, like to follow our example, then we help them to establish an organization or assist them. Let's, let's put it that way. Okay, I, I looked on your uh, website, and I think uh, from the, the page there, that there's 137 member organizations in 56 countries. Maybe that figure has changed in recent months, I don't know. But uh, can, you, uh, uh, can you give some examples of, of these organizations, some uh, maybe that people have heard of? Yeah, the organizations are really of very broad variety. So we have organizations that are uh, sobriety organizations. Uh, for example, in Scandinavia, we have big ones like the organizations have uh, 25,000 members and uh, they are promoting alcohol-free lifestyle as the core of their activity. And they are working with the uh, advocate, advocating for alcohol policy that is effective and is actually aligned with WHO's uh, recommendation. Uh, but then we have also organizations that are like, for example, youth organizations where it actually should be a natural thing to create alcohol-free environments for young people. But these organizations are specifically also committed to creating the alcohol-free environments uh, for 
youth also for many different reasons. So some, some young people have already had problems and need to find some space where they are not exposed to alcohol and other drugs uh, all the time, which in many societies we, uh, we experience. And then there are many young people who are growing up with parents who have alcohol problems and would like to find some safe spaces where they can actually rest from that problem at least for a while. And then we have organizations that are dealing with children, which is similar uh, in the youth uh, to youth organizations. But uh, here again, they are creating again alcohol-free environments. They are teaching them to democracy, to democracy, and to active participation. Uh, there are several organizations that are like uh, youth clubs that have understood that whatever they have been doing for young people to empower them, which is which is their main mission. Um, it has been uh, met with, uh, with uh, problems when young people uh, were consuming alcohol. So the, the effort put into young people uh, has not been, uh, it didn't pay off in a way because, because of alcohol problems or uh, some kind of uh, deactivation of young people because of alcohol. Um, so then they understood, okay, we really need to actually work with alcohol issue and, uh, and raise awareness about the real effects of alcohol and the expectations that young people have around it and the whole culture and how it influences them to um, use alcohol, sometimes even despite the fact that they are not interested in using alcohol. And then we have also many organizations in, um, with, uh, in, the, in the global south, uh, let's put it that, in that way, that are um, also working on building society. And it reminds us very much uh, the situation in 1851 in the, in the US um, and in, the, in Europe a little bit uh, later, where uh, the organizations, while trying to build their communities and the community resilience, they again understand, uh, okay, there is alcohol is a problem. So we have an organization that works with hygiene and access to clean water. Um, and then when they were dealing with that and actually teaching people uh, some basic hygiene things, they again understood like they, the people wouldn't come to meetings because they uh, were using alcohol somewhere in the village. And, and that. so then they would need to first take care of that and then they would uh, build their capacity when it comes to hygiene and, and access to clean water. So it's a really very broad uh, variety and it's a huge organization as I mentioned like 25,000 members and then there we have organizations with 15, uh, 20 members, it's student organizations uh, as well. So, And of course I didn't mention that but we have also very many organizations that have people in recovery, in treatment and recovery. So that's another very strong category within our movement. And you mentioned the Global South, I think, uh, from reading your material, that, uh, that one of your emphasis is on uh, alcohol as a, an issue within uh, development. Uh, could you, maybe, I mean, you've touched on a few issues there, but could you explain how uh, alcohol can have, uh, in your view, a, a negative effect on uh, the development of a country? Yeah, I think the easiest thing how to explain, explain it is the analysis of sustainable development goals. Uh, that have been adopted in 2015 and I think are somehow making their way into uh, people's awareness uh, and the countries should be at this time after five years since the adoption 
uh, be act actively work working with it. Uh, so when we look at the goals, they are 17. And the, the goals, there is, uh, there is everything possible. So it's everything from eradicating poverty and hunger uh, to reaching gender equality, providing education for all, decent jobs, um, sustainable uh, economic growth. Uh, also, there are goals that are connected to environment. So again, sustainability in the in environmental sphere, clean water um, and, and land, and then also uh, some kind of uh, like the partnership between uh, in, in the governance between different uh, parts of the, the sector. So it's really looking on, 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 the, on a very, again, broad uh, spectrum of what needs to be uh, achieved if we, want to, if we want to do something for sustainable development and uh, in a way turn around the, the current development. And then when we look at those 17 goals, then and make the analysis, then we understand that 14 out of those 17 goals are negatively impacted by alcohol harm. So, and you can go, if you look at the poverty, for example, as, and it's, con it's a little bit connected to what I've been already mentioning, but uh, in, uh, especially in, uh, in poor families, there is so much money spent on alcohol that uh, it's difficult to get, uh, get out of poverty. Uh, or when we have, um, when we are in countries that are getting now over the the like where, where the social economic development is uh, is improving, we can also see like those that have just got over the poverty limit and have better income. That income is then being spent on on alcohol, and it's also connected to because to the marketing practices of the alcohol industry that is actually targeting these countries where they see a huge potential um, in, the, in the purchase power or <laughs> force. So for example, that would be the poverty. Then if you look at uh, gender equality, then we again see like how much gender-based violence, for example, is connected to alcohol use. Um, and it's a, it's a direct connection in a way. So the, then um, again, we, we look at the marketing and the sexualization and objectification of women, uh, and we look out at some alcohol commercials. It's just mind blowing how that is possible still in in this century. Uh, so so they also like what kind of culture and uh, understanding is created by. Uh, alcohol industry and how that hinders then the um, development towards gender equality. Then when we look at, uh, for example, the use of water and how much water is spent for production of uh, alcohol, like beer and wine, uh, there is a huge amount uh, of water spent on this, like hundreds of liters on a liter of, uh, on liter of alcohol. Um, in the countries where there are drains and uh, like when there is no when there is no water and the communities are really suffering and in the same country alcohol is produced and being uh, exported to western countries where we are then enjoying our glass of wine or something so it's like it's on very many different um, in many very many different areas where alcohol is impacting the development you, you look. I looked on your uh, literature around the, the, the rebranding, and one of the uh, 
things you unveiled at that time, I believe, is a, a slogan which includes the term alcohol prevention. Uh, and it was a little bit unclear to me and maybe some other people what that meant. Is it uh, to prevent the production of alcohol, prevent the consumption of alcohol? Uh, is it a prohibitionistic kind of uh, statement in other terms? It's, it's just very a little bit unclear to know what, what that means. Ah, thank you. That's a good question. That's uh, like we actually perceive alcohol prevention as a very broad, broad term. And what we are talking about is to reduce uh, harm caused by alcohol or prevent the harm caused by alcohol. Uh, we are, it's, not, it's definitely not a prohibitionist uh, term. Um, it's not forbidding uh, alcohol in the whole society. Uh, it's, so it's more about the approaches that will reduce the uh, consumption of alcohol so we avoid the harm. And there we can see it like it's a classical prevention and we imagine like going to schools and um, creating these alcohol-free environments as I, I've talked about in the beginning. But it's also alcohol policy measures that uh, have the, the best impact, like the three uh, best buys on the consumption and in consequently on the harm that we can then see in the society, whether it's, uh, it's public health, whether it's uh, economic, um, economic harm. Uh, or like a social, social harms, which is also part of the uh, public health then, uh, or also democratic harm, where we can see the, the interference of, of the industry in, in the democratic processes uh, or in, in democracies or preventing democracies. And then, um, then also the, the prevention is also uh, treatment and recovery. So under this alcohol prevention, we actually include also um, like, uh, as I said, recovery, because as soon as people uh, are treated uh, and recover, they are again creating alcohol-free space around them. Uh, and of course, they are reducing the, the harm on them and the harm that has been created uh, by their use. But at the same time, they are creating an uh, alcohol-free environment that then uh, also influence the people around them. And I mean, this is an interesting issue. I think a lot of people uh, who uh, rethink their alcohol consumption one way or the other, they cut down or they, they, they quit. There is this um, divisive element to alcohol in that it's a personal habit, which somehow may be interpreted as having a, a judgmental uh, aspect on what other people are doing. Um, is there a way to sort of square this issue where you can kind of make a, a personal choice as you're advocating to, to not drink and, and do it in a way which doesn't sort of exclude other people who may drink from this conversation about uh, a substance? I think that the personal, personal choice is everyone's personal choice, really. And uh, we actually do not have any opinion or we do not interfere into people's personal choices. For what is important for us is the environment and the society, what the society offers to people. And if people are, are bombed by alcohol marketing and if alcohol is made uh, a natural part of every part of uh, our lives or in the society, that is, that, that is what is a problem. And it's a problem for several reasons. It's a problem because we know that some people already have alcohol uh, problems and would really benefit from alcohol-free environments and have no chance to benefit from it. Um, and um, it's also a problem because there are many people who actually do not want to use alcohol, even though they have never had any problem. 
uh, but they feel that they should because it's expected or it's there and it's all the time communicated in that way that it should be. So the consumption would be lower uh, if, if we have uh, the measures that we know are effective in place. Um, so, but how people decide in the end with their own consumption and whether they will have a glass of wine once a year or every day or never, uh, that is not our business. Um, why our members are alcohol-free, they are, there, there are very many different reasons. Um, but of course, one of them is that some of them had their problems and they, they, there is no other way to deal with that. Uh, then there are members who really do not want to support um, the business or the industry, not even with a single cent. So they will never purchase that and they don't want to promote that kind of culture. And then there are also members who are really aware of the problems of other people and they want to be that safe space themselves in, uh, and create it around, around uh, their, their person. Um, so, as I said, there are really many different ways and th those are personal choices uh, and what the organization is dealing with is more societal solutions. And uh, I mean, we, just a final question. I mean, we, we, it's obviously a long history, 170 years. Is, there, is this a moment where things are about to change or is this, uh, you know, is there another 170 years to go with uh, um, much the same kind of story being told? I have a very strong belief that this is about to change. Uh, and I have, I, and uh, I've been in, working in this field since 1999 in, in different, different levels and from different um, positions, I think it has uh, already changed uh, and it's um, uh, again, you know, what is very interesting to uh, follow or to look at is also what is what people do and what people say. And I think already there is a, is, is a is difference and if you have conversations with, uh, with people about their alcohol consumption, very often we see, we hear, and what we haven't heard before is uh, it, it's more natural just to not to choose alcohol uh, very often. And it's again, and we, it's, it's, this is bringing us the whole circle back. Uh, as I said in the beginning, like there is more and more evidence uh, that there is actually no safe amount of alcohol. So why would people just do it? And then the, the, the discourse around alcohol is also changing, understanding uh, what is the real effect uh, and what is the expected effect of alcohol and how can we, um, how, can, how that impacts our um, consumption. Because if people understand that uh, they are actually funny or that they can be social or they can be sad without holding a glass or without, without pouring ethanol uh, into themselves, uh, then they, they have no reasons to, again, to use it or take it. And, and then when the, the, the also on the policy level, uh, we see there are changes uh, and the, the, in, the, in, the, in my opinion, in the right direction, but that's not uh, so obvious because we have different countries uh, having strong opinions about the effective measures. Um, but I would see that there is also a positive, I would say that there is a positive development. Thank you very much uh, uh, for that. It's been very, very useful to know. And uh, there's some, perhaps some reasons to be cheerful. And uh, thanks very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. <laughs>